Welcome to Astronomica, Stars Without a Number podcast. Except this week it is a talking about Stars Without a Number podcast because we thought for a sort of special mid-holiday season episode we would treat you all to a bunch of nerds talking about a game instead of playing a game, which sounds real fun. I am your sort of host. They're dropping. They're dropping. <laughs> oh no! Oh Precipitously. No. <laughs> Where's everyone going? We never had numbers. <laughs> yeah, well, that's legit. That's fair. That's not true. We really appreciate everybody who's been listening to us, and uh, we decided to do this episode because we know that uh, if you play these games, you also tend to like talking about these games. And we've had the awesome opportunity to talk to a few of you about these games, and we would love to talk to more of you. So if there's something that you want to chat with us about, about the system, about gaming in general, definitely look us up on Reddit. We are on the SWN subreddit pretty frequently, and then we also have an Astronomica podcast subreddit, so that's kind of the best place to chat at us. And yeah, I didn't fully introduce myself. I am Kristen. I usually play Hildegard Hypatia Cade, the uh, ship's communications officer and uh, space whale lover extraordinaire, even though they turned out to be kind of awful, but maybe those were just the backwater Aegean space whales. And uh, we're gonna... space whales. And that voice is who is going to introduce themselves next. I am Star Daddy. Stan. Oh, yeah, um, Star Daddy. <laughs> Hail Star Daddy. Hail. Hail Star Daddy. <laughs> Thank you. Happy holidays, everybody. What'd so you guys get for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> Peace um, on Earth and goodwill towards all mankind. Nice. Damn. Solid. I returned Damn. it for uh, store credit. Oh, that's <laughs> it was too expensive. Prices eternal vigilance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I can't keep up vigilance for like an episode of Shit's Creek. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dear. Know, like, <laughs> the mind wanders. I, uh, the, the price of Shit's Creek is 22 minutes of vigilance. Yeah, too much. <laughs> too much. I have similar issues paying attention to, like, any media yeah, right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been renting movies from Black Lodge, and then I feel really bad because it's, like, two weeks, and I've watched, like, a movie, and I'm like, how do I not have energy to, like, sit on the couch and watch movies? Yeah. It's a no, good question, uh, but since I'm not going to be doing a lot of editing on this episode, you might want to introduce yourself first. <laughs> we're talking about businesses that are local. We should plug them, though, <laughs> To Memphis, awesome. Tennessee. Yeah. Um, since we're doing plugs now. I'm also, Cullen. Yeah. I play Anton, and if you, like me, have a love of quirky horror movies, samurai films, weird, obscure movies where people get... Chopped up and blown to pieces and all that shit. Also, if you live in Memphis, this is really contingent on that. But y'all should check out Black Lodge because um, they've got everything that you want to watch that you can't find on streaming. It's just a really great local business that's been a big part of this community for a long time. What's the scariest samurai movie that you've seen? I really liked... I'm I'm pretty sure it's called Sort of Doom or Sort of Blood. Basically, the... um, the main character is this like sociopathic. Throne of Blood. No, Third of Blood is as Kurosawa. Oh, wow. That movie's dope. That's just Macbeth. But no, it's it's called um, Sort of Doom. It's also got Toshiro Mifune as a uh, cameo, but it's really good. And who's that over there? That's Colin. I'm over here. 
I play Mackie under normal circumstances. Tonight I will be appearing as myself. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, this isn't a scary samurai movie, but the show The Kingdom on Netflix is a Ooh. Korean uh, mm-hmm. medieval oh, yeah. zombie show, which I, for one, was really surprised by how much I liked it. Glad we had this talk, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm Colin. My name is Jeff. I play Grace the Ship and Hopper the Medbot. My favorite samurai movie is not at all spooky, but it's a six-string samurai because it's awesome. My favorite spooky movie is The Thing. John Carpenter is The Thing. Hell yes, that movie. <laughs> that movie is fucking dope. So, what I thought we'd do tonight was uh, we're going to go round robin and ask each other questions to spark some conversation about the game that we're playing. These questions might be about our characters, might be about the setting, or about Stars Without Number itself. So basically, we're just going to have ourselves a good old-fashioned, slightly moderated nerd-off. And I'm going to get this party started with a very broad question that is mostly for the players, but if Star Daddy wants to jump in with the way that he thinks about picking characters, that would be awesome, too. And my question is, um, first characters in a campaign are often the characters that we think about the most and often have a really big reason for choosing, even in a game where we expect them to die pretty quickly. So why these characters? Why did you pick this person to be your character out of the gate? And my sort of similar question to Star Daddy is sort of why this initial hook? Because I think for game runners, the kind of similar thing to your first character is that very first hook of getting your characters involved. Let's go first. Well, I feel like my answer is the worst, so I'll go first so that it will be forgotten by the time (laughs) that the conversation is done. Uh, I'm playing Mackie because I played him. I invented him and played him at a game at Stan's house probably like four years ago. Back when I knew the rules. Yep. (laughs) Those halcyon days. (laughs) Oh my gosh, was that the first Stars Without Number game we ever played? I believe so. It was the first one I ever played. It was, yeah, I think it was the first one I played. And I like, I immediately liked the character, felt a kinship with him. Peter Falk has always been among my favorite character actors, so, you know, just trying to pretend to be that is fun. And yeah, I mean, it's not very in depth, but yeah, that's why I'm playing Mackie. I enjoyed playing him, and I was happy to uh, crawl back into his skin. Chris. Yes. <laughs> I thought that that was Grace's job. It's actually almost exactly the reverse of the process you just described. Gruesome. <laughs> 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 well, how about you, Colin? You feel like, I feel like you're ready to spill the beans on why uh, Anton is your go-to guy. That's just because I'm holding the microphone in my hand. It's true. I'm putting um, you on the spot. Yeah. Well, Anton, I want to say there was more thought that went into Anton, but it was really that we were like sitting around talking about the game, and I was like, ah, it'd be kind of fun to be like a like a space Cajun dude. And I knew I wanted to play a combat character because I knew that that wasn't like a focus that we had um, as far as the rest of the party. And I think Anton was a character that I didn't have a solid idea on until after we already started the game. So the first, like, probably three or four episodes worth of content, Anton is just mostly reactionary. Like, I I had a general idea of, like, 
who this person was as like an archetype. But when it came to like anything specific, that was something that I wanted to figure out through actually playing the game. That's why I think in the first episode we talked about goals. And I was like, well, I don't know what Anton's goals are because nothing's happened yet. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, I'm happy with the way that the character has grown. And like since, you know, what, the very beginning of this year when we first started talking about all this through now... I've had more time to really think and develop what I want this character to be. But yeah, I mean, he was always sort of supposed to be a reaction to what was happening in the story. And I think that from there, as the story has grown, he's grown into having more of an actual personality. Which is, I I think, natural and as it should be. Yeah. Um, You were talking about, like, you, one of the things that informed your decision was that you felt like there was a need in a potential adventuring party for a combat character. And that just sort of reminds me that one of the things that is, I think, really fun about playing in a science fiction game, as opposed to like a sword sorcery game, is as a, as a guy that has almost always played skill monkey characters, in most sword and sorcery games, you only have one option, and that's whatever the rogue type thing is. Mm-hmm. In a sci-fi game, there's all kinds of different, like, skill monkey builds. You know, like, Mackie's a engineer and a technician. You know, Hildy is a, uh, you know, a hacker and, like, systems person. And, I don't know, I, I think that's pretty cool. And so that means that there's a lot of potential, like, you know, holes in the roster that can be filled. Yeah, that's a sense that I get just from the game system itself, that there's... Looking at it initially, I think it's very easy to look at it with the idea, especially with the modern gamer's eyes, of, well, shoot, there's only three classes you can be, right? Like, there's there's a warrior, expert, and adventurer. And, wow, that is some old-school D&D shit right there. I think by now a lot of us are used to, you know, having 10 or 15 options just out of the gate. But there is so much potential to individualize your character because of that kind of skill-based focus in the game. Mm-hmm. And that was something, when I was building Hildy, I didn't really have an idea for a character before rolling her up. But I kind of looked at what I rolled up through the character creation process, which is something we're going to have to do on mic one of these days. Because <laughs> it's a really fun process. It's probably my favorite character building process, actually, of any game yeah. that I've played. Agreed. And there's a great balance there between that sort of old school, like, punishing, roll down the line, these are the stats you get, and then mitigating, okay, based off of that, where you kind of think you want to go, you can add a background, you can mm-hmm. do some tweaking, and come up with a character that you really want to play. And so, based off of the stats that I ended up with, I thought, well... Okay, fortunately, I did roll and then build to be the kind of character that I like to play generally, which is um, a caster analog. Mm-hmm. In Sword and Sorcery games, I tend to play casters. And, you know, in a sci-fi game, what's a caster? Yeah. As a hacker. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, it is your caster in a sci-fi game. And so it was fantastic that it just kind of worked out that way. From there, I went with the persona of a linguistics academic because my background, my personal background is in anthropology and linguistics is an area that ironically I did not care for when I was in school and now wish I had actually taken the opportunity to spend more time on and also find 
sort of out in the wild is one of the least understood parts of anthropology. And so it's really kind of a fun exercise to play a linguist who has a funny quirk of being like, she's super serious and, and focused and very highly intelligent, but she has some pretty, like the initial bizarre quirk of, of being into aliens. Like she is box molder from the basement and she is kind of the guy on, uh, on history channel. you know another neat thing about this system is the focus system so like all the foci really change sometimes very dramatically uh like for instance one of my foci is the uh vi character vi vehicle focus and speaking about character origins one of the reasons why i chose to play uh virtual intelligence is because stan said you know you don't have to be limited to just this the traditional choices you like. You could be a VI. And I was like, yes! <laughs> Actually, I think Jeff was in a game that I ran on Roll20, and mm-hmm. I think I told you at the beginning of that, I was like, hey, uh, I don't really know that I would let anybody do this, but I think you could really handle like an AI, because you <laughs> remind me of a computer. Because <laughs> you personally are yeah. basically an artificial intelligence. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. so. so, I mean, to speak to, to what you're saying, and also to what Kristen said earlier, you know, the foci system introducing those layers of specificity and how there's really only three classes, four if you count psychic, which we're Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, explicitly, uh, we are playing a non-psi campaign, so your extra caster-y casters would probably be more than that. It's all psi. But, okay, so (laughs) contrast that with Pathfinder, where you can be a fucking alchemist. So, like, you in Pathfinder, you can be (laughs) 80 highly specific things. Mm-hmm. But once you pick one of those things, you're really very limited. Yeah, Whereas, yeah. The, yeah, like the people who are really into Pathfinder will get yeah. mad at you if you didn't, like, plan your character 20th level and, like, choose the correct yes. and, like, all that. Yeah. Oh, there's some I'm of that with, in other in D&D stuff, too, yeah, in sure. 5e and things like that, or even Yeah, 3. I mean, I think it's really a... It's a thing that really I saw first in 3rd edition, and then... When fourth edition came out, everybody was about the stuff that I don't like in those in the Indian went to Pathfinder. So I had this like I mean I have a I'm biased against it. Like I know that it's I know that it's a really popular little uh, system and I'm not gonna uh, shit on it, but uh, I will tell you that and Cohen was in this game. I, I ran a Pathfinder game for like two years and we were actually talking about this earlier tonight. At the end of it we still didn't know the fucking grapple rules. <laughs> yeah. Oh my it's god! Not like it never came up. You like, don't you know, want to memorize three different yeah. flowcharts to. Uh, yeah, no. The, I mean, the yeah. one I was running, grapple was the thing I had to look up every single time. I, I think time. it's kind of like a. It's and almost I had a trees meme. that just grappled people. That's what they did. Mm-hmm. They tried yeah. to grapple you and carry you off. Yeah. And I almost got a couple players that the, way. The um, exact quote from earlier this evening was. Um, that was one of the most fun tabletop games I've ever played, and like zero percent of that had anything to do with the fact that we were playing Pathfinder. <laughs> like, we could have been playing any yeah. other game and had just as good of a time. It was just that it, like yeah, it was a good table full of people. I've like, had fun playing those games, but I've always been wrestling against the system. To do it. Yeah, it's yeah. I I think that you need to take a. I don't know. Maybe it's because our sort of the culture of gamers that we have kind of created here that we're pulling from as players. Because we are people who know each other in real life. 
and have game together in various combinations before and are pulling from a larger sort of community of gamers where we are, you know, we follow the rules, but we're not really stickler about it. I am really offended that you keep saying gamer and I don't see a single piece of RGB at this table. Where are my (laughs) rainbow fans? Uh, Look at the back of Stan's laptop. So I am curious, Star Daddy, the sort of version of the question for you, why this particular hook to get us started? So for the sector design, I knew that I wanted to do a, um, I wanted to have like a religious organization Mm -hmm. in space that wasn't like abstract or weird and futuristic, but like an actual like through line back through human history, you know? Because I do think that if you did go to the year 4000, you will find Christians and and Muslims in it. Yeah. And they'll look different, but they'll be... There will be that like, continuation. I think. As far as the actual like inciting incident, I had Colin Cullen and uh, Jeff on the ship, and I just needed Hildy on it, so I had to put alien shit on it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, it was either alien shit or space whales, and we hadn't discovered space whales were her thing yet. So, and also, so I, I didn't know they were her thing yet. So. so, I sat down and I created two alien races involved in the artifact. The rules for what it does how it works, and you guys broke it in half and dropped part of it to the bottom of the ocean. Ah, so. uh, yeah, we did. Well, yeah. technically, we delivered part of it to a habitation under the ocean. Yeah. That then, yeah. That, I mean... Well, and technically, does Aegea even have a bottom of the ocean? I mean, it doesn't even have a solid center, so no, is it, there a bottom? A middle. <laughs> so it's in the middle of the ocean. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, Pretty a bunch remarkable. of people go down there and, like, bury their treasure under other people's treasure. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mythical core of Aegea, is just one giant treasure pile. Well, the, the neat thing is, like, it would, you would be weightless. It would be, even even without the uh, pre-tech hocus-pocus that keeps it from evaporating and keeps the pressure equalized all the way through, mm-hmm. like, the very center of the core would be zero-G, so it would be a cool place to float around in. I have one tiny follow-up question for you, and then I want to pass it off to my next victim, I mean, uh, person. Um, And that is, so you mentioned wanting to have a through line in terms of a religion. I've been thinking it's really interesting that you chose, like, Greek Orthodox. And so I was Mm. curious about why Greek Orthodox. I like it because it's hierarchical. Mm -hmm. So there's, like, an actual, like, authority figure. Yeah. But then also, if I went with Catholic, the figurehead of the of the organization would be kind of a de facto anti-pope, right? Like there would be, mm. theoretically, a, still a real pope on in Rome. Yeah. I mean, you guys don't know what's happening on Earth or what's happened since the collapse, but I don't know, maybe it's a cockroach. It's actually, it's actually Pope Joan II. <gasps> right. Hold your tongue. It wasn't a cockroach. Then it was awesome. Best folklore ever. I know but, it was folklore uh, that was meant to smear the Catholic Church, or smear the Catholic Church. If you guys don't know the folklore of Pope Joan, look it up. It's super cool. It gave rise to uh, one of the few things that I retained from Latin from going to Catholic school, which is uh, testiculos habit et bene pendentes. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I think I know what it means. <laughs> uh, so subsequent to Pope Joan, they made a special chair, and they would reach up and feel for, uh, and, and then declaim, he has testicles and they hang well. <laughs> oh, no. How they hang him, Jeff? <laughs> well. Well, I'm no pope. <laughs> Does the pope have testicles? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, see, My goddamn right he does now. We check. 
I also like. I feel we're living in kind of like a shadow of a once great empire. You know, a once star spanning. No, no, no. We're in we're in America. What gives you that idea? Oh, I thought he was talking about America. I thought he was talking about the the game. But we could definitely (laughs) talk about the decline fall of the American Empire anytime. I don't 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 want to make before y'all get into. (laughs) <laughs> the, final, the final factor in choosing uh, Eastern Orthodox was, well, two things. One, that uh, it was um, not something I'm so culturally removed from that I would worry about like disrespecting it. Mm-hmm. And two, I lost my train of thought. Are you, I'm going to guess that it's in that sweet spot, because my thought was like Greek Orthodox is a great choice because oh, it's, it's in that sweet spot between... So familiar right. and so in what our culture is so steeped in. And even though the U.S. has a history of not really liking, not really liking Roman Catholicism, certainly now it's that's really not an issue. Um, <laughs> but in the history of the U.S., which is where we are all from, surprise, you know, there are some issues there. But Greek Orthodoxy is within sort of the next sphere, and Catholicism right. is within sort of the immediate sphere with us. Yeah, it parallels some stuff that's familiar to me. And then also, I mean, I do know some Greek Orthodox people, but also they kind of seem, and I hope our Greek Orthodox fans don't take this the wrong way, they kind of seem like they'd be late to the game on space travel. <laughs> 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 like there's not really like a, a Cape Canaveral in uh, Antioch. You know? Yeah. So yeah. I like the idea of, of New Antioch being a, how you kind of patriarchate, but then like, yeah. You know, I mean, they're probably fucking cabinets all over space. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you only need two, and then two generations <laughs> later. Uh, if you need to colonize a world, bring two cabinets. So. So. So he's got a question for us. I mean, I guess I did have mine in the can already. Let's go for it. Cool. Um, so the thing that I wanted to go around and ask, and Stan, you can feel free to respond towards any of the, like, factions or, like, NPCs. But the thing that I was curious about was kind of, since we started, if you could, like, go back and, like, change something about your character or, like, write them in a different way from the inception, what would that be? And then um, sort of as a as a way to move forward from that question, like, what do you like about the way that your character has grown since we started the game? Well, so, uh, so the options for an AI, a true AI player are, like, limitless, almost. Not, not really, but it is a vastly more powerful being than a virtual intelligence. And there yeah, are... I think, mechanically, a VI is a, is a focus, and an AI is a class. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And you have, like, a frame. You can change out your core between frames. You can have, uh, you know, like, Gundam suits and stuff like that. Uh, and at first, I was a little wistful about, you know, like, ah, oh, just a VI, you know, like, that would be so cool to be so much more powerful. But actually, you know, having some limitation on the role-playing aspect of it is a lot more fun. And actually, it's more challenging, too, because Stars Without Number being not so combat-focused, it is better suited towards coming up with alternative strategies. And when you get into battle, you are very well advised to have a good plan and a good strategy for the battle, because just getting a hit can kill. Yeah, combat is lethal, which yeah. is mm-hmm. something yeah, that there's the folks at home need to know. That's one of the reasons <laughs> we avoid it as much as possible. Yeah. There's been twice now that with a slightly less fortunate roll of the dice, Anson would have been dead in a single hit. Yeah. 
More times than you know, Anton. <laughs> but uh, but no, but so so because there is so much more of an a character based aspect to play, it really is is more fun and more satisfying to play with more limitations to be basically a human, but a little bit diminished in some ways and enhanced in others. Yeah. Um, and actually, like getting back to the earlier, like why did you choose your character, or why do you why did you write your character that way? For this uh, scenario, I get to play the villain who is also a protagonist, like, I, which is really satisfying. Because what do you love to be? You love to be a hero, but you really love to be a villain. Oh, yeah. And that's something to kind of point out to you is that, interestingly, for a game that is based off of some early D&D, the system of um, evil, good, chaotic, neutral, alignment. like alignment. Yeah, thank you. Alignment is not a thing in Stars Without Number. Mm. And that is a, that's such a baked in concept to a lot of role playing games. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting how we still kind of operate within, I'm playing a character on an alignment without an alignment. Yeah. I mean, I'm a um, big Planescape fan, so I've always had a soft spot for alignment, even when it's kind of a hotly debated (laughs) issue in a lot of of community circles. And like, I, I don't know. I like it. Well, I mean, I know you're also a big racial essentialism. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, but I, I think, so I think, the, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think the approach, I think the thing about alignment, right, is that it's a actual, like, physical reality in the system of D&D. Like, it's mm-hmm. in, the, in the world where D&D is, like, a being has an alignment and it has yeah. a... It's a concrete concept. Right, with mechanical effects and stuff. And yeah. measured and quantified and stuff. And so you have to take that into account, but it doesn't really fit here. So what I would have done differently is easy. I would have figured out a way to buff my intelligence score by one because everything I do on the regulator, on the regular is modified by intelligence. And it's like the one core attribute I don't have a bonus in. And it is... I mean, Real is that, can you reasonably get to a bonus in intelligence? Because I know when we level up, we can you can spend can two purchase. skill points to get one attribute. Yeah, yeah that's okay. gonna probably happen some level soon. But I mean, depending on where you are with your intelligence, you may have to do that for a couple levels, uh, which is kind of a pain because yeah. you can just make up that intelligence deficit by pumping more into your skills. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, we're getting into a tiny amount of crunch here, but that is something that is kind of cool about your leveling up process, that Mm -hmm. skills are kind of the main, the most rules that we make are skills rules. Correct. And so allocating your skill points is really, I would argue, the most meaningful thing when you're not getting a new foci that you do when you're leveling up. But you can choose to change your stats, too. Like You can choose to improve your, uh, your attributes, you know? It's just the downside of that is that you're not putting points into skills. Yeah. Well, so like I'm at 11 and I think that I need to make it to 14 to get a bonus. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be like three levels worth of three levels points. worth of scroll skill points. But, you know, maybe I'll just do that every other and get there someday, or maybe Mackie will die, and I can get a... Uh, I mean, it's not really three levels, because it's you get three skill points per level as an expert. That is empirically incorrect. Mackie oh, will never die. 
Promise me there are other... you will never die. <laughs> <laughs> there are other avenues, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I don't know them off the top of my head, but I, I'm sure there's, I'm, there's probably a cyberware implant. There's probably... Um, there's some pretext stuff, though. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I'm there's sure something there in the syringes, sadness room. Pretext yeah. syringes full of, like, intelligence juice. <laughs> I feel like if you ever expressed <laughs> in character that you wished that your brain was a little bit younger and sharper, <laughs> uh, Grace could probably take care of that for you. That's, uh, that is, that's legit. Based on you might wake I'm up slowly coming to understand that. Intelligence boots. Well, I mean, you know... Well, actually, the reason, the reason Mackie is so wistful for his int stats is that it used to be a 14. <laughs> and Grace tried to bump it up one. Whoops. Oh, dear. Well, so oh, no, I have severed the frontal loop. I'm playing a guy that, as far as he knows, is like 64 years old, but he's like got a nice bonus in strength, dexterity, constitution. Like, he's healthy as a horse, and I'm starting to... Understand that. I mean, that's the way the dice played out, but uh, it, it really works for the world that we've created because <laughs> I think Copper just keeps swapping parts out while he's asleep. Yeah. So he's kind of the ship of Theseus. But uh, yeah, that was that was a non-zero factor in like you know like coming up with that idea for what was going on with. Yeah. I like it. I think the thing that for Hildy, if I could change something, and this is probably this is like. I don't know how valid this is as a thing that I would change because really I could just play her differently. But I started playing her one way and now this is where I am. And so if I want to play her differently, I, I have to like grow her to that point. And so that's a person. It's a personality thing. I really like her stats. I really like her build. I'm very happy. Like the starting foci that I went with was Wanderer and Hacker. Hacker because uh, I wanted her to, from a, a party utility standpoint, fulfill the role of our hacker of the person who deals with any computer systems that we have to come across because that's super useful in a sci-fi game and wanderer based off of really because you get basics in, in all languages and free travel for yourself and your group with that first level of wanderer as a foci and i felt like with her background that would make a lot of sense it hasn't come in super handy just yet but i feel like you know it's one of those things it's nice to have in my back pocket but I did, and I don't know why exactly I did this, but I did play her initially as a very abrupt and sort of stringent person who clearly is not used to being around other people. And like she's it, like the plus of that is that she's very focused and goal oriented. And if she has a goal, like she will work very hard to achieve that goal and not worry about ruffling feathers or, or getting people mad at her and achieving that goal. But the downside of that is that, you know, we've clearly set up, this is a sort of Firefly-esque ragtag crew that becomes a family kind of vibe. And that kind of character is going to have some friction in that vibe. And there definitely has been. And that's something that, I mean, having started playing her that way, I feel like I can't just switch her to suddenly be agreeable and everything. And I have to find ways to figure out how to keep her character intact while still moving her towards less friction with the rest of the crew. And I think if I had started with a more agreeable personality to begin with, that would be a little easier. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I like her. It's fun, but it is also there have definitely been some tense moments, and that is something that, like, we have had to work out as a team how that fits in the larger group. I also, mean, also, like, that's narratively satisfying, and yeah, and, you know, <laughs> dramatically satisfying, like. Mm-hmm. As Bobcat Goldthwait said, nobody ever cleared a bar by saying, hey, there's two guys getting along in the parking lot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I feel like in certain parts of the South, you can totally clear a bar that way. (laughs) Well, (laughs) can I... Jump on in there. You tell me, can I spill the beans on uh, Hildy's background? background Oh, yeah, for sure. Which is actually, which is a late addition. I just thought of this after already coming up with her personality. So much like Anton and Mackie, like I started with a base idea of her character, but really I didn't think about what her background was or why she was this way. I just kind of said, here's what I want to play and here's what we're doing. And so recently I've kind of come to this idea that she is a test tube baby. She is, and and I don't mean like IVF, I mean like in the sci-fi sense, she's part of a group of clones or near clones that were all raised together in a very scientific and moderated setting. And I kind of started with the idea of, um, from Heinlein's Friday, you know, my mother was a test tube, my father was a knife. And so she was raised to be a specific thing within the Reliquary Institute to fulfill a certain role within that. She is a little bit of a rebel because she has deviated from that role. But in terms of personality, you know, she didn't grow up with like a couple siblings and a mom and a dad. She was not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Socialized. She wasn't socialized in the way that we think of sort of the quote unquote normal Mm -hmm. socialization process of a child. So she didn't grow up with this idea of like, let's all work together to achieve things. Right. So I see a kind of Queens Gambit, like church run orphanage type situation. Yeah. Well, and an interesting twist on it is uh, like, I know from a Catholic doctrinal standpoint, clones and uh, IVF in fact are strictly disallowed. Yeah. Uh, And they would be antithetical. I don't know what, the Greek Orthodox position on that is now, and certainly that wouldn't necessarily hold for 2,000 years, but sure. it would be kind of interesting if you had some sort of, like, like you were something that the church did that it considered inherently uh, sinful Question. or soulless. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the church and the Reliquary Institute and the Republic of Argo are all ostensibly separate entities, and the Reliquary Institute is officially a secular organization. Uh-huh. But the barrier between three is very thin. Yeah. Like Andorra, where uh, the bishop of one district and the, is is a prince of Andorra, but they're right. legally distinct entities. Yeah. Yeah, like, the way that I envision it is is very much like, and because my background is, is in Catholicism, I think of, there's a number of Catholic institutions that are very heavily based in scholarship. Mm. So I think about Mendel. So I think about things like Mendel, like we, we have the base understanding of genetics because of a monk. And so, yeah, like Mendel was living today. He would work for probably a secular institution, but given the time period that he was in, that's where you could research. The world that we're playing in is coming out of a dark age. So it makes sense that the keepers of knowledge would have been religious. But yeah, so if you... 
if you're struggling to change your character, we could just, next time you're in Argo, Grace could just pick up the wrong hill. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. She could just pick up a different club. And just nobody notices. Well, no, like, I, I, I do think I struggle with it, and we have definitely had some off-mic and behind-the-scenes discussions about how to fit this kind of character into the larger group. A dumpster. But yeah, into a dumpster. Yes, with a shoehorn. But to the second part of the question of like, what do you like or what direction are you taking that you really like? Mm -hmm. And that is that the focus that I took after we all turned level two is authority. So what authority is, is, is authority allows your character, it gives you a focus in leadership. And also it gives you a little bit of a bonus to sort of bossing people around, which is something that Hildy very clearly enjoys doing. Or is at least uh, inherently good at. And so I'm kind of leaning into that, but I'm trying to lean into it in a way that is ultimately beneficial for the crew. And so hopefully we've got some things coming up here in the narrative where she gets to use that skill. She does it in her sort of trademark abrupt manner, but whereas previous to interacting with Anton and, and with Mackie and, and even with Grace Hopper, it would have been, she would have been doing this sort of for her own benefit. She's doing it for a larger good. And I think that's really where I'm intending the growth of the character to go. She's not going to become like a kinder, gentler person who asks permission for everything. It's more a case of her reasons for doing things in the way that she does them become more altruistic and focused on the group rather than her individual goals. Gross. Do you remember (laughs) when we first started, you gave me a, you gave me a name of an NPC who could call her or was a rival of hers. Is that another clone? Actually, that would be fantastic. I would love for that to be the case. Well, as a chance to answer my own question, and I think that this will surprise no one, and I think it's probably in the recording at some point, but the thing I would change about my character is I'm just not crazy about my character voice. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, like, a natural way to change that about my character. Well, if you... What? (laughs) <laughs> there's cyberware. There's uh, yeah. if he was like an actual like modulator? like Parisian Frenchman. If I just like Lyndon doing a snooty French accent all the time, I think that would be more fun than what I'm currently doing. Which ends up sounding like a like a oh no, I'm just like sound like Cheech Marin. Which um, what if you purchased a voice modulator from the Glazier system? I mean, we can do that. Like, there's gotta I'm, be I'm fine one, with right? that. Or, um, you know, Hopper could have a slip of the knife one. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. maybe you get smoke, you, like, take smoke inhalation damage and fuck up your voice or something. Well, I did think, <laughs> uh, like, you know, whether this happens naturally or if this is a new character or something, I thought playing a player character that is mute, that, like, speaks with ASL, whereas, like, I, as the player, will communicate to okay. you as the players, but my say, player character cannot speak. <laughs> I was going to say, like... It would be kind of fun. In an I audio thought, medium, yeah. that sounds real ballsy. That sounds yeah. real poking. Oh, yeah, no, it's... it's, it's, it's it, yeah. Colin is here, we promise. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but... Why do we leave an empty chair instead for Colin? Of any, like, um, <laughs> I, I think the, the things that Anton, I think I could have worked on... Is that in the beginning, I didn't super like the the voice, and I think that informs a lot of the way you, you play a character. But he was also just kind of directionless. And I think that that is the thing that has improved. Is like having played this guy for, you know, 10 or 11 sessions or whatever. Um, I just have a more focused idea of who this person is and how he fits in and why he would make decisions in a certain way. 
one of the things, speaking like how um, Kristen was talking about choosing a, a foci that made sense for the way your character would grow, Anton went with the uh, the connect foci, which another sort of like social skill thing is that he's the, you know, the sailor in the port that's been around a lot. And so because of this, he's got connections and social skills and the ability to finish connections. I was going to say, definitely ex-girlfriends. Yeah. Actually, but it's it's a thing where like, maybe just exes general. I mean, don't, don't put Anton in a box. You know, that's the thing is that, that um, it's part of the heist. I feel like Anton In which case, absolutely put him in a box. Anton is like like a little too of air to breathe. That dude from Scrubs, right? He appreciates hotness. Oh, yeah. The, the Todd. Yeah, the Todd. The, the, Todd, Todd, the Todd's kind of awful. But no, it's just the thing. <laughs> the, the fact is that, you know, having a, like, social backbone of the crew, the person that can, like, open doors and shake hands was a thing that I thought that would make sense for the party as we play it. What and are also, you talking about? I am the social backbone of the crew. <laughs> well, just, just having sort of the affable everyman as the thing that Anton grew into was sort of the way I was leaning with the character. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I am not one to uh, issue corrections to people. <laughs> he says, out as he's about but, but, yeah, but I, know, I know we have a listener who is OCD who is pulling their hair out. Are you, are you going to talk about focus versus foci? Yes. <laughs> It's Whatever. Because that it's... listener is a member of the podcast. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. I'm going to keep Foci slash foci is plural. Focus is the singular. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I've seen those, I've seen those threads on <laughs> mine and they get nasty. All right. I just, oh my gosh. I want to get out in front of it. I mean, sure, we might fuck up the you hacking rules. You guys go ahead and call it whatever you want. We I might don't fuck care, up the I'm hacking just, rules. I don't want that guy to... Uh, be sitting there like, yes. I'm emailing them right now. I want to say, if we say the foci that I chose, it's because we drink when we record this. So uh, I have a two-parter. Uh, one, to give you a little bit of flexibility in, in what you think might be the more interesting answer, and also to incorporate Stan. Uh, <laughs> and one is, is there a character from your backstory that you have fleshed out in some way, anyway, which has not been introduced, but you feel like would be interesting to talk about now. And then two, is there an element of the Stars Without Number role-playing system that is interesting to you, that you think is really cool or crunchy, or you, you feel like deserves highlighting, that we have not, to date, gotten into on the, in the game that you would like to uh, mention or bring up? I'm going to go with that second one, just immediately in the top of my head. What this makes me think of is so far we've had one real uh, ship combat and it wasn't really a ship combat. Right. And we talk a lot at the time about how because of, you know, the distances involved with space, space combat is very different than we tend to picture it. But honestly, like we played other games where we did have some ship combat and, and there is a lot more you know, everybody mans their battle stations and we get mm-hmm. to go through rounds and mm-hmm. we haven't done that yet. And it is, I think, an interesting system. Um, this is also my answer. Yeah. And and I'm <laughs> looking forward to like, I know we're going to get to it and mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to us getting to it. But so far where we are, that's the main mechanic that we haven't really got to sink our teeth into that I'm excited mm-hmm. about. I'd say that I'll 
I'll answer both the questions, but first I'll do the second one. Aspects of the game that I think are really cool, and one of the things that immediately drew me to this game is that I feel like, baked into it, it really encourages role play. For instance, if I'm going to assist someone with a role, I don't just roll. I have to explain. I have to like come up with a concrete way that I'm assisting before I roll. And I feel like that just really makes the world happen. And, uh, and it doesn't have to be the same or even related to it. Exactly. You just you have to find a way to tie it in. And, you know, if you're... It, I like the idea that good role play can be as important as good dice rolling. Yeah, like and, in a mechanical like sense. So, yeah, it makes and, it fun to play, and it also makes it a really great thing to try and do this with. Yeah. To, to make it a, a more outward-facing performance, which makes it so weird to me that there's not another dedicated one <laughs> right now. I'm hoping there will be more, because I want to listen to more. And, and actually, uh, what Stan was talking about with Pathfinder versus Stars Without Number, it's baked into the rules, it's explicitly mentioned over and over again. It's like you come up with the justification or, or even, you know, like, talk your way around the rules. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, you aren't bound by the rules, they're there to give you a framework to flesh out your adventure. Mm-hmm. And even the primary skill check, in the rules as written, you are supposed to justify to the GM which skill you are using and attribute and why. Although, just mm-hmm. in the sake of simplicity. And it is kind of a, it is a, like an OSR kind of design principle that the rules are really, you should really only call on the rules when the result of what your action isn't obvious or there's mm-hmm. a chance of failure, right? So mm-hmm. like, like I saw, uh, there was a conversation I happened across while I was looking something else up where Kevin Crawford was answering somebody's question about rules for something and they, and they were talking about how there's no rules for drowning, and he was like, well, yeah, but if you hold somebody's head underwater, they drown. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, yes. you don't need rules, really. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, uh, you're no, all you, get your, you get uh, three rounds plus oh, your constitution modifier. <laughs> uh, well, that's, yeah. um, I've, I've ran a uh, Monster of the Week game before. I know Colin was in that game. And one of the things that I really like about the way that rule system works, and I think it's kind of similar to the way we play Stars of That Number, is that a player character should just describe their actions and what they're doing. And then I, as the DM, when it feels appropriate, will stop them and ask for a roll. But it's not a like, oh, I want to do this. Let me roll these dice. It's a, I'm going to act out what I'm doing. And then, you know, whoever's running the game will be like, okay, cool, roll me this, and we'll see if that's successful or, like, how that plays out. And I think that that's a good way to approach these types of Mm -hmm. games. I found found that to be a very fun, very user-friendly, and easy-to-get-immersed-quickly engine. I really liked that game. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, to take the whip from Colin, uh, you said you had an answer to both parts. Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay, this isn't so much an exact person, but, okay, so we've talked about Maggie grew up and grew to, like, late adulthood on an accidental generation ship. Uh, But I don't think we've talked so much about, like, why he left. And once the generation ship finally arrived around a habitable planet, they found it was already completely inhabited by, you know, people that had gotten there sooner because they had, like, spike drives and, you know, maybe the gates and everything. So there wasn't a place for them. 
but it was full of like corporate bastards that are like, hey, this like accidental generation ship's kind of cool. So they bought the ship and turned it kind of into like an orbiting colonial Williamsburg where like the people that were on the generation ship kind of like acted out their daily lives and how they survived for the benefit of tourists. I think it's more of a silver dollar city. Sure. (laughs) Uh, You know, one of those things. So long as there's like people working space butter churns in like period garb, that's I just like the idea that you guys have to like eat nutrient paste for the paying customers and then at the end of the day you go home and you eat like slightly better nutrient paste because you're still <laughs> yeah. corporate employees of these Very assholes in the glacier system. Well, so I basically at one point they they were forcibly retire Mackie. But mm. like since he grew up on the ship, it's sort of like Okay, well, you need to give your jumpsuit to uh, this new guy we're bringing in, Timmy. And there's <laughs> he's a going new to Mackie? Be... There's a new Mackie on the ship. Well, there's a new us. fake Mackie. And I'm like, I feel like the corporate people that kind of forced him out of his home and also, like, the replacement fake crew and passengers of the Empress Helene would be interesting to flesh out. So, yeah, that's the whole thing there. I am really hoping that we have some kind of interaction with the Empress Helene. Well, apparently we're in the system with them, so we'll we'll see yeah. what we can figure out. Kristen, you already answered this a little bit with your uh, your, your backstory. Um, yeah, like, and this is only a, a recent thing. I mean, initially I had had an academic rival that we were going to work in, and that just hasn't really come to fruition. And to be honest, I'm fine with that thread just, like, never really going anywhere that idea never going anywhere, but in, in starting to establish more um, Hildy's clone family, I think it would be fun to run into some other Hildes and to see what variations there are. Because the way that I envision this sort of, this set of clones is that they aren't, like I'm saying clones, but I mean... Trace members. Yeah, like they, they basically started with the same basic stuff and they did some, the, the folks who ran this place did a little bit of tinkering. And so they ended up with, you know, X number of viable daughters who super all have, monks. yeah, who, who, super monks, who all have. In the, in the old, in the old school sense, not in the D&D sense. <laughs> I, Although uh, I'm sure there's one of those. Because Stan hates monks in I, D&D. I, I, hate, I want to. He hates monks uh, and refuses to have them in his. I hate monks in Forgotten Realms. Or <laughs> I want Even to uh, meet Rick and Cowgirl, Hildy. Oh my god. That will So be so is that. there there's like Hildegard Hypatia Cade and like Ingrid Isolde Cade and <laughs> Well, so that's Jennifer. actually so that's actually a fun little uh Easter egg. I don't know that they would all have the same name. I kind of envisioned that like they picked their like Cade is is the name of the place that they come from. It's an acronym. Yeah, like I envision it being basically an acronym, um, and then their individual names would have been designations that they then eventually individually turned into actual names. Ah. But Hypatia Cave is an Easter egg to a old um, Anne McCaffrey and Mercedes Lackey book. Ah. It's one of my very favorite books called uh, The Ship Crash Andro Inception Division. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? Uh, and then E. Extraordinaire. Extraordinaire. <laughs> Extraterrestrial. No. But no, like, it, I think it would be fun. I haven't really fleshed out any any of them or anything like that. But I do think having come up with that background, like, I'm really happy to toss that off to Stan and be like, hey, here's some potential people that we could run into. 
from her background, I think that would be really interesting to see how the rest of the crew reacts to that. And I, and I like uh, Anton. So far, this is all externally imposed upon you. <laughs> but like yes. the actual living reality of having a girl in every port <laughs> is when you're like this Lothario, like smooth talking, you know, ladies' man. But you go back to a place you've been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think that's that's yeah. I mean, I mean, sorry, that was a thing that I I didn't <laughs> intend for this character to be. That just sort of like happened while we were playing. Yeah. But I, I do think that that's kind of fun, and like already having had like you know Bridget, and hopefully Bridget you know didn't drown or whatever, and we can like have her as a you know a foil to the the crew at large at times. I think could be very fun. But then the other thing, like the the only other part of Anton's background that's really been um, exposed yet is his um, you know former military service and subsequent desertion. So I think having that decision come back now years later to bite him could be an interesting way for his uh, background to sort of plan out, you know, pan out into, you know, the current game. But yeah, the, the second part of the question thing that I do find the most interesting and, and like about this starts of that number system is just like the looseness of the structure and the way improv pans out. But I, I, I would like us to, get into a little bit more like nitty gritty stuff when it comes to the actual gameplay. And one of the things that, you know, I'm kind of eager to explore some of like the technological like equipment that's available, like say like Anton gets his legs blown off or whatever. And I get him cool, like robot jump jet legs or something like that. That kind of shit's kind of fun. I like all the like techie, like crunchy stuff. stuff. You yeah. not have your legs blown off to have them removed. Well, <laughs> that's certainly a case. I will, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I might ask Copper to do some elective surgery in the future. <laughs> or elective surgery. Legs with broomsticks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the double peg leg sailor. I like it. Become a you can nail whatever shit you want on there. Infinitely <laughs> 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 modable. <laughs> <laughs> but this is the far future. We have the most advanced technology imaginable uh, outside of pre-tech era. So this is made of real wood. <laughs> Believe it or not. Well, you said broomstick and it made me think snowman. Then I thought about him having like a literal carrot nose. Which, <laughs> not exactly cyberware, but you know. The character that I've made that I think has the most interesting kind of stuff going on is it's kind of Jeff Cho. It's like it's less him and more the thing that he that motivates him that mm-hmm. is really interesting. And like it's um basically he has come into possession of knowledge from a previous person that he is like not equipped to uh to handle without going a little bit nuts. <laughs> like you know what I mean? And so like it's but the the person who he is like a distant student of his group. Okay. Is it Emperor or Palpatine? God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually Emperor Palpatine's cousin. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but, but Jeff Chu is his granddaughter. Obi Wan Kenobi. <laughs> Famously unlitigious Disney will surely allow us to use their intellectual property. As for the. Uh, Aspects that I most want to explore that we haven't yet. Um, one is definitely factions. 
Yeah. Um, and I think that as play continues, like we've only had one faction turn so far, and I think that as play continues, it will become more. You as players will have a better sense of when you're interacting with the world, what aspects are the factions and what aren't. And when you when you become the enemy of an organization, which isn't to say you aren't already, but, and it becomes a, a, a mechanical thing that you can interact with, where like, well, they actually have a revenue stream that you can disrupt, or they have these resources that you can get a hold of, or whatever, and you can like deny them actual like assets that they have. And they actually, you know, have a um I'm not just pulling out of my ass what how many troops they have or whatever. Like that's all codified in the rules to a degree, and so it's less of a uh, start Eddie fiat when it comes to like who wins that fight. You know? hmm. Cool. Which I think is really cool. And when you can like leverage alliances with other powerful groups against your enemies and like and ultimately the faction rules are the stars that number answer to the old like, classic D&D fighter builds a stronghold at level 9. Like, you're supposed to eventually, as players, run a faction. Yeah, you I don't look, have to, but it's... Like, I, I really look forward to this group of people having a faction. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that can take, it can take all kinds of shapes. I mean, you guys could, if you, if you capture another ship, you could, like, hire a crew and install it to be, like, a merchant mm. and, and run a merchant guild and, you know, oh, maybe, or you can colonize a world and, like, attract colonists to it or... Yeah. Any number of things. Yeah, we're definitely all going to still be alive by level 9. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. for sure. We're totally reaching level 9, especially Anton. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I've, I've listened to enough of these things to know the person most ready to change characters will have that character forever. Yeah. <laughs> Anton will be standing on the smoldering wreckage of an asteroid. <laughs> All the rest of us having been vaporized around him. <laughs> Hold on, Anton. Before I die, let me inject you with this pre-tech immortality serum. <laughs> the um, the other thing I'm really looking forward to is uh, so far, like narratively, you guys have kind of been going from one crisis to the next, mm-hmm. and it's driven. It's you haven't had a lot of uh, free will in terms of like you haven't been outside of an emergency yet. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'm looking forward to hopefully when this situation is resolved, the universe really opening up and, and you guys having more of a, uh, more agency. Yeah. Um, there's uh, a. Uh, I mean, part of it was there's a Mad Max planet out there. Uh, part out of here. it was fencing you guys in with the material I already had, but now <laughs> <laughs> now I've done enough. You're ready for us to uh, really throw some. Crazy shit at you. You heard the man. We're going to Narnia. Yes. You have that prep, right? (laughs) Yeah. Dope. I once decided to attack a fiend in in the middle of a dungeon dimension. So, and and Stan ran with it. So, after the fiend would not be my friend. I'm just throwing it out there. I tried shaking its hand first and it did not want to. It was Um, a punitive attack. So, <laughs> it's the demon who didn't move here. <laughs> As a level one character, space whales be warned. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Now that I think about it, I'm changing my answer of what mechanic I hope we get into um, to uh, animal companions. That's yeah, it. Sure. That's the whole thing. Just animal companions. Hang There's, on, let me turn to that. There aren't any. Yeah, let me turn to that page in the uh, source of that number, source book. 
My uh, my next character is going to be a Dale Gribble-esque exterminator whose goal will be to just slaughter whatever animal comes on <laughs> See, here's the thing. I am actually exercising, believe it or not, a great deal of restraint when it comes to animal companions. Really? If and when Hildy dies or departs, I have thought about my next character straight up being a, a zoologist. <laughs> a Dagla woodchuck. <laughs> yeah, being an animal companion. Yeah. No, straight up being someone who comes with like, they have a bunch of, they already come with a bunch of animal companions, but they're like a, they're a zoologist or they're some sort of, uh, they're into studying like weird space bugs. I truly do not understand your fascination with animal companions. I have three of them, and it's not mostly not that great. <laughs> he says, as he pats Mackie on the head and tells him he's the best boy. And Mackie's leg starts kicking. <laughs> I didn't mean you, Mackie. I don't know how to do a whisper in Grace's voice. <laughs> it is not conducive to that. For sure. uh, so, Colin, I don't think you've asked us. What you want to ask oh, Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to give you guys a choice. Okay, choice. One, I can ask an insightful question to spark lively conversation, or I can sow strife and discord. What do you think oh. would be better radio? Well, I know which one would be better radio, but I know which one I'd rather be present I for. Mean, <laughs> I think this being a gaming podcast most yeah. of the time, I think we leave it up to the dice. All right. All right. One through ten... Uh, insightful. 11 or 12? <laughs> 11 through 20? Yeah. yeah. Strife and discord. <laughs> All right. Come on, Kalisti. It is a 10. Oh. All right, so... Right on the bubble. So ask us the insightful question, but in a way that pits us against each other. <laughs> um, okay. Let me think. <laughs> he wow. didn't have it in, in a I really, I was really, I was, was really lie. hoping for strife and discord. It was a lie. But, uh, uh, really I mean, maybe I can. Oh, whoops! I meant to say I rolled an eleven. No, 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 that's no, okay. Okay, most of these are staffed by people that are in some way, shape, or form professional performers. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't oh, know if it is like podcast? obvious. You mean yeah. Podcast? Yeah. <laughs> None of us are that. No. None of us were even like theater kids in high school as far as I know. Like that wasn't okay, Kristen. A little, a little like junior high and okay. beginning. So, <laughs> where the hell do we get off? <laughs> what is our why did we choose to do this? Why, why did we choose to inflict this on the listening what population? Why is it that our unpolished, <laughs> ass backwardsery attempt to do one of this? What What's the magic there? Like, why? I might tell you where I get off, but you probably wouldn't want to record the podcast in this room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, all right, all right, that's fair. That's there's fair. <laughs> but no, I mean, there's. I think there is a kind of like magic. I uh, mean, listening back, there's a kind oh, yeah, of magic, magic to like how. <laughs> How <laughs> completely not completely unpolished we are. we are, you know. I mean, so yeah. What do you guys think? Are we uh, are we in any way qualified to do this? Well, no. There's, I mean, <laughs> short answer. Yeah. yeah. No. So, but it's also like you know, like gatekeeping in art is a pestilential mindset. I think. Agreed. Uh, and in particularly collaborative, like. So none of us are professional entertainers or whatever, but between all of us, we yeah. have like a thousand years of role-playing experience. Absolutely. Yeah, most We're of them sitting smart. at the head of the yeah. table, really. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, 
we've definitely hit the Gladwell 10,000 hours of pretending to be someone else in an adventure setting. Yeah. Like, for sure. Absolutely. And uh, all of you folks are funny and interesting people, like, outside of this. So I think that gives us somewhere to get off. I'm not. Lies. Yeah. Um, Collins lies. He is a funny and interesting person. And, yeah. and I have heard him say, if we did not have him in a room doing funny voices, he would just be doing it in a room by himself. So yeah. at least... Oh, yeah. That's, that's uh, one know. fun thing I've kind of learned during the pandemic, is I have a very specific form of Tourette's. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not, like, th- I, this might not even be like funny. Mackie. No, well, no, I mean, it's just like, I have Tourette's, but only if I'm by myself, you know? Like, I'm barking and quacking and just, I mean, it's gotten worse over the course of the year. But yeah, no, that shit, that shit is happening. This is actually where we give the uh, reveal, the Shyamalan reveal, that uh, you don't have Tourette's. This is not a podcast. You're alone in your room. (laughs) None of us are real. Oh, Um, man. I mean, I think I feel pretty much, I I feel a lot of the same way that Jeff does, that, that, and I would phrase it a different way, if not ask who, like, what. Mm-hmm. podcasting is a very democratic sort of creative space. It is. It's, it's taken something that, it, so as a creative medium, it's, it took something that had reached a point where, and, I, and the thing I'm talking about is, is an audio medium, your radio, right? Mm-hmm. That reached a point where the vast majority of radio stations that we listen to are at this point corporate entities. Mm-hmm. Right. They're generally not independent stations that are choosing their own content hour by hour mm-hmm. with personable DJs, with individual personalities choosing whatever music it is that they like to put on that hour. That's mm-hmm. not what most of radio is that we listen to. And even most of talk radio really isn't that either. It's mm-hmm. not any DJ's fault that the best songs of the 70s and 90s <laughs> are objectively the best songs of the service. <laughs> True, but like, and I mean, sh- sure, sure. But I mean, my, my point there is like, we've reached a point in sort of an audio medium where that stuff is highly corporate and mm. it's, it's decided by algorithms of what is quote unquote the best and, and how many songs you can play before there is a ad break. And also if it is talk radio, what can you talk about? that will get enough ears listening to the point that you have an ad break and podcasting while it's been a lot, it's been around long enough now that there are certainly professional podcasters and there are certainly people who are professional performers who get into podcasting in all different genres. It's still a very democratic medium. It's still a fairly low bar to get involved with. Yes. Most podcasts don't have a, a ton of listeners, I belong to several podcast groups just to talk about sort of behind the scenes mechanics of, of this medium. And really, I think what it boils down to is why us? Well, because we like to play these games. We genuinely enjoy doing it. And I think we all have a sense of what is what we like to listen to, what we enjoy hearing from a storytelling and from a humor perspective. Mm-hmm. And we also have the ability to an extent, at least at the, in a raw sort of sense that hope that may or may not improve over time of how to reproduce what we like and create new things that we like. And I don't. Well, 
I mean, you know, there's exceptions to every rule. But so I think that it's, we had an idea and we had the ability to start this thing and sort of the baseline ability to play this game. I mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of other podcasts that have done Stars Without Number. Mm-hmm. There's And there's not really a lot of, for all the role-playing podcasts there are, there aren't many who do old school games. Yeah. yeah. And Stars Without Number is a new game, but it's, you know. The, the, it has a kind of old school vibe. It's very based on that. I, sh- I shouldn't say there's not many. There are relatively few compared yeah. to fifth edition or um, so many fifth edition, which are great. And the thing mm-hmm. is that a lot of those, like, there is the joke about isn't it? You know, we're going to get together. We're going to make another D and D podcast. I mean, listen to any given D and D podcast, and a lot of them are really fun to listen to. Yeah, we maybe have a slight edge in that we have chosen a system that doesn't have at this moment other games that are dedicated or other podcasts that are dedicated to it and we will grow with more experience but i think that's really the seed of it is that mm-hmm. we have the idea we have the ability to recognize what we like and to a certain extent synthesize what we like uh and go from there and we also yeah, do have an engineer yeah and for me it, it's um a lot of it is uh it gives me the motivation I need to run the game that I actually want to run, which is a game where there's been a lot of like prep work done. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I mean, I think too, from a player perspective, like there's a de- there's definitely a difference between playing this and playing a game just for fun. That there oh, is yeah. a sense of like, oh, my character needs to make sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I, I think to put. A short answer to kind of put a pin in this. In a lot of ways, we're doing... (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We're all in it for the money. Get that podcast dollar. (laughs) No, um... Purple, purple bands, y'all. How are we (laughs) going to divide that dollar, by the way? There's five of us, so I guess we could each have 20 cents. Well, oh, see, I was thinking like a dollar is like, how long is it? Is it five inches long? We just cut it in inches instead. Okay. (laughs) Cut every dollar. Yes. Um, <laughs> sorry, Colin. Yeah, no, that's cool. The thing I was going to say is just that I think we all started doing this for fun. And, you know, if no one out in the world at large ever listened to it, like, kind of who gives a shit? We all yep. started out to do this for fun and have a fun game and podcast with our friends. Yeah. And, you that's know, I, I feel back to a little bit old and gray. Mm-hmm. I feel a little bit more responsible to do a good job now that people are actually listening. But at the same time, <laughs> this is 100% just a thing that I decided to do because I thought it would be fun. And that nope. is exactly where I get off. And fuck you for asking. Can I say to the listeners, please fuck off and come back in a year when we're good? <laughs> don't, don't, don't fuck off. Stick yeah, with no, us. Grow with us. But, but we will like, get if better. You, if you do fuck off because we suck, come back and do it. Yeah. 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 I, I Personally, the reason I do it is for uh, Carthalon's best. Still the number one best fan. There you go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. totally for the fans. I do it to get good enough to look Travis McElroy square in the eye and tell him to go fuck himself. <laughs> <laughs> like a convention or something in the future. Yeah. Travis, if you ever hear this, it's not personal. I just hate you. Your brothers are better. I actually have a message. Uh, Justin McElroy, if you ever want to hang out, just like drink beer and eat pizza. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> For sure. Justin, you're invited. Yeah, like yeah. You if lot. you want to come to Memphis, we actually, 
Speaking of a mechanic from a previous question that we have not been able to do that we wanted to, this is not a game mechanic. This Start is a, a beef with the most powerful yeah. podcasting family. <laughs> we in the really world. Well, only one member. The rest of them we, we like, yeah. or I like. I mean, I yeah, keep like cutting these things Griffin where we like Justin try to make huge podcast enemies so that we can get clout just from yeah, them. Joe Rogan. Yeah, Joe Rogan. I'm looking at you. Well, not really. I don't want to look at yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, like speaking of a mechanic. We haven't had a chance to do. We plan to have guests. We've yeah. got we've got the setup to yeah. have a hot seat. Too bad there's a plane. Then COVID hit. Um, yeah. 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 We recorded episode one, and then there was a plane. <laughs> yeah. nope. I think there might be a cause and effect thing there. Yeah, Ooh, sorry, sorry for the pandemic, guys. Yeah. That was most By the way, if you've noticed, <laughs> if you've noticed any... Um, Resimus said, that's a bad idea, man. I would think you're going the wrong I direction. Like, fuck you, man. You can't control my art. <laughs> Pandemic. <laughs> Pandemic. All right. If you've, uh, if you've noticed any inconsistencies in the story, some of it has to do with long stretches of time. Uh, I know I know. Uh, Jeff Cho has been on the board of several different companies. <laughs> One of our characters has no idea what his last name is. Yeah, I've decided, to make, that, I've decided to make that a feature instead of a bug. Yeah, that's narratively a thing now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, when you hand your uh, your your crew jumpsuit over to little Timmy, like <laughs> it just says like burn and the first syllable is like torn has fallen off. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it too. Canon. So uh we've got one more question to go. That mm. is from Star Daddy. Yeah. We're gonna end our little holiday nerd off with a question from Star Daddy. Yeah. So first of all. How do you guys feel about the rate of progress in terms of, uh, specifically in terms of like experience? And stuff? <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I would love to be level like five by now, but I think that we're doing a, you know, pretty normally good job, you know? I, uh, I am among the weirder, <laughs> avid players of RPGs I've ever met in that. I hate leveling up. I find what? it so tedious. And then there's afterwards, in, I'm second guessing whether I even did it right, right until I level up again. And then by the time I'm at level four, I'm like, I don't even know if this character works anymore. <laughs> so you're I saying hate. that you would just be happy staying at level one forever? Yeah, I would. But the thing is, <laughs> I'd need all of the monsters and bosses to also stay at level one. And I know that's not tenable, so I just suck it up. But yeah, no, I'm fine with progress. I, um, it's interesting in Stars Without Number because even a, like, mega boss level character is still, in terms of, like, you know, compared to a D&D 5e where by the time you're fifth level, you're already getting, like, demigod mm-hmm. status in some respect. You know, you just get, you get more cool options, and you get more flexibility, and you enhance mm-hmm. the way you play your character, but it's not like you really fundamentally change. Your hit points go up mm-hmm. a little bit, you get better levels in, in your foci, or, you know, you can bump your stats a little bit, but even if you have a maxed out stat, it's a plus one, I mean, plus two, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, like, you, you're not, you're not going crazy with, uh, uh, increasing your power, right? uh, you're just increasing the depth of your character, and we're already doing that through characterization, so, yeah. I feel like not, and also, you know, like, we could cheese it, and, you know, my short-term goal is to uh, stay alive for three hours. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I mean, I was, I was gonna say, if, <laughs> I feel like if but, Stan allowed us to have those kinds of goals, 
then we would have correspondingly different, like <laughs> the, the ability that we had to stay alive for the next three hours, we would suddenly have a lot more combat. Well, but, mm-hmm. but also like, I mean, if, Yes, we couldn't do literally that, but if we were bound and determined to be munchkins, sure. we could titrate exactly the minimum effort uh, that Stan would finally <laughs> give into yeah. to, to power level. And, you know, it, it is fun in 5e to get, like, new, you know, 5th level spells or, or, you know, like, feats. get more feats in Pathfinder or whatever. Yeah. And I do like that. But in terms of depth, this isn't just, like, a little, you know video game character that you're like steering around and blasting people it's like you're making narrative choices and character yeah. choices and things like that that's more satisfying i think yeah i'm gonna go with the group and say i'm, I'm pretty happy with the progression um in terms of leveling and in terms of characterization i think that in a sci-fi game there's a difference in not just this system but just the concept of sci-fi in general so much of what you do as a character comes from outside yourself compared to a fantasy game, right? So so if you look at your wizard, again, like caster is what I tend to play. So if you look at your abilities as a wizard or a sorcerer, warlock or, or what have you, those are generally inherent abilities. And as you level up, your, in, your inherent abilities increase. Mm-hmm. You get more spell slots. You get more little special things that you can do. But... In a sci-fi world, a lot of what you're choosing to do comes from the outside. And I think that the progression of characters then becomes less about getting more abilities and more about getting more savvy to the environment around you. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Stars of That Number does a great job of that in terms of character progression because you really, the biggest thing you're doing is you're adding more to your skills, which adds more to your ability to do roles you still have to say what you want to do in order to do a role you still have to look around the environment and pick out the things that are going to be helpful and so i think as a team we are hopefully this is true getting more into the environment and working more with you in terms of asking what is out there and making use of things in the environment that we can do cooler and cooler shit with. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah, not necessarily like really, leveling. One of the things I'm really focusing on going forward is uh, more concrete environments. Um, so like lots of brutalist architecture. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely. <laughs> I'm going to start uh, providing you guys with, well, I've definitely got, I've got a, I have a star map for you guys. And, uh, out and then actually like laying out this, the, the scene of battle in a more like concrete way when a fight starts with so we're going to have battle maps? No. Oh. <laughs> but we are going to have battle cats. Yeah. Okay. Well, nice. Um, and so, all right, uh, real briefly, and we'll keep this very short because... Um, we're we're getting close on time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I did want to do something a little special here at the end. Oh. And uh, everybody roll 1d10. Okay. Oh, my. I looked at a d10 in months. Yeah, which one's that one? <laughs> I'm just confidently oh, clicking on roll twenty, trying to bring up the interface. <laughs> when uh, we're not actually playing the game, I can roll dice for you, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what you're rolling for is a little chart that I made to determine a keepsake that your character has. <gasps> and just in like two or three sentences, tell me why you have it or where it comes from or who gives you. 
some detail about it. Okay. So, uh, how long was serving you get? I rolled a nine. Right. Nice, that is a good roll. Do you have a newspaper or magazine clipping? Okay. Um, I have a newspaper clipping of the first time a raid team that I was a part of won a like substantial match that like really boosted the city's like economic value. Nice. Cool. Was it Little League? <laughs> yeah. I was like fourteen. And like I had like, you know, little Timmy's Red Rider submachine gun. Yeah. You set off a pipe bomb in the town hall and yeah. <laughs> Junior Skull Tracker. Yeah. Daddy's little anarchist Kalashnikov kit. Alright. Uh so nine is off the table. If you've got a nine reroll. Alright, uh, Colin. I rolled a two. You have a pack of breath mints, an open pack of breath mints. <laughs> <laughs> that is the most macky thing. Uh, <laughs> picture, picture a roll of a half done roll of certs that like you haven't had one out of the package in, in like, <laughs> years, but it's just still in your. It was handed down through generations of the Byrne family and passed from parents to offspring. They'd say, now listen, when you get ready to make your move, you say, you know, if you bite down on one of these, there's a spot. <laughs> <laughs> and then you turn out the lights. And after that, it's up to you, kid. I've done everything I can. <laughs> and you pass the rest of the roll. Oh, my down. gosh. Yeah. Yep. How many are left in the roll? How many future generations of Burns could there possibly be? Well, Maggie, uh... He was the last generation that grew up on the uh, on the ship, and it was all about conservation at that point. So there's three clean ones, <laughs> but there's one that's clearly been in a mouth a few times. <laughs> Hey, you want to see what happens when I bite this in the dark? No, thank you. Ah, <laughs> that was literally the only move I had. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and uh, Gracie slash Hopper. Uh, six. You have an empty bottle. Fancy empty perfume bottle. It could be a plastic water bottle. Um, hmm. Uh, okay, so it, I think that it is a... Like a personal crew water bottle that was issued to uh, members of, of a crew, and it's uh, from the it's from the uh, Hyperion Salvage and Survey ship, mm-hmm. and there is like a faint crust, <laughs> <laughs> as though its its previous holder had been uh, like uh, volatilized. <laughs> oh my. While holding it. <laughs> nice. The, uh, the previous Mackie. Oh, no, no, no. This was many, many Mackies ago. A fire Mackie. Proto Mackie. I'm a Mackie. Can, um, can one of our characters in the future be like a Richard Pryor Mackie? <laughs> <laughs> that some kind of fun? <laughs> yes, but just from the part where Why don't you have a coconut fire? smile and yes. shut the fuck up? Yeah. <laughs> Tell Bill to suck. My dick. <laughs> I got a four. Okay. You have handwritten directions on a piece of paper. Well, I would say those handwritten directions on a piece of paper are tucked into one of Hildy's personal effects. 
which we may or may not have heard about by this time, but we will soon if we haven't yet. And they are directions on basic computer logic. Mm -hmm. So when you're programming, there's a basic logic that all computer language follows. And I'm not talking ones and zeros. I'm talking about your, you know, if this, then this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and this is this. These directions are basically the simplest flowchart of that logic that you might hand to a child in their first lesson about the way to think when you interact with computers. Hmm. Very nice. I um. I'm sad nobody rolled a 10 because that was novelty hillbilly bathroom aid. <laughs> oh, Adam, why didn't you roll a 10? Uh, if only. I was one away from Corn reaching cups. all of our dreams. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and, and throw this out there. I know somewhere Bridget Sakamoto is out there and she rolled a 10. Yeah. That's, and it's the, the thing is what, it's the last thing that uh, she has of Anton's. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my! Oh my is a little plastic bag of beans labeled <laughs> hillbilly bubble bag. <laughs> and she hates it. <laughs> <laughs> Why is he always like this? <laughs> I like to think that that was like what Anton gave her for the first uh, Space Valentine's Day they were together. <laughs> And it's important because he gave it to her, but it's also, like, important in the angry sense of, like, she looks at it and stews on it because who the fuck would give that to someone? <laughs> it's, it's like a focal point for her and, hatred. Yeah. The real it's story like... <laughs> is he bought it. It's a souvenir from a trip he took with a previous girlfriend. Oh! <laughs> it just happens to be the thing he left at her apartment. And went oh, and no. <laughs> so it has no value to her at all. Except, yeah. It's just uh, emblematic of... Mm -hmm. Emblematic of Nan. <laughs> Every time she feels the, like the hate fading, she's like, "No, no, no!" And she pulls it out and just looks at it. She looks oh at it. She looks on the shelf next to it, where she keeps the uh, stuffed skunk labeled "Hillbilly Air Freshener." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh, is that from a previous boyfriend? It's also from Anton. Oh, also from Anton. <laughs> You had a real phase there. You all, you all know me so well. <laughs> y'all yeah, we have not been privy to how much I used to shop at truck stops. So. <laughs> it's one of those things where like, you get so deep in the irony that you are actually sincere. Yeah, man. Fucking love truck stops. They're mm. great. They're fun. Especially in Louisiana where you can get like boudin and like mm. you know, knives, like crawfish pies and <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah. And knives. And yeah. like and one case guns. So drugs out your And you can buy liquor at gas stations, man. Like you can get I like mean, a, a drive through daiquiri shop, get yourself a like, you know, bourbon chocolate milkshake and then hit the interstate. It's yeah. fantastic. That a little, sounds little terrible. north of uh, Shreveport also. you can get all that plus a live alligator. Shreveport sucks. <laughs> Except that you can get a but live there alligator. are things about Shreveport that are just weird and, and fantastic. <laughs> yeah, Shreveport's weird. Alright. So with that, I think we're going to close it out. Shreveport's weird. Shreveport's Our, weird. Keep Shreveport weird. <laughs> <laughs> did, did I intro with Keep Austin weird? <laughs> I think I did. You did. Out of the Keep Baton Rouge. <laughs> 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 both, both of my parents are from Baton Rouge. Thank you all for listening. 
We are super excited for you to hear what is coming next and also to find out what we're doing next. And uh, here is to 2021 being a way fucking better year uh, and also having way fucking better audio quality for you all. So we will see you guys in the new year. Fuck you, Portugal. (laughs) Does anyone else have any uh, end of year... Happy 2021, everybody. Try not to fuck this one up like you did the last one. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. Please keep wearing masks. When there's a vaccine, take it. Mm -hmm. Keep the shields on your vac suit tight. 2021. Um, I'd like to raise a toast. (laughs) Gentlemen, suck my dick. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for a podcast, what can I say? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Once again, we appreciate y'all. We really love that you guys listen to us. Uh, Please tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your family, tell your enemies, tell everybody that we're a good time. And you should listen to us. Help write our name on Bathroom Walls, Astronomica Podcast. Check it out. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can find us on most social media platforms by just searching Astronomica Podcast. If you want to look for those exact handles, you can find uh, astronomicapodcast.com, and there will be links to everything. We are, as I mentioned earlier, on Reddit. We are on the Stars Without Number subreddit, which is SWN. We also have our own subreddit, which is Astronomica Podcast. Am I forgetting anything, guys? You should probably call your mother. She misses you. <laughs> call yeah. your mother, call your father, call your family, all that good stuff. When you get to take when you get takeout food, uh, tip the staff 200%. Oh. <laughs> if you're planning on cooking a large bird for Christmas dinner, put it in the fridge like three or four days ahead of time. Let it thaw. Yeah, and that's really good tip for next year because this will go on the 30th. You don't have the New Year's Day turkey? <laughs> I was actually like really wanting to do a traditional like Christmas goose. I don't know where one buys a goose, but... Uh, you lean happened. out your window and you throw a shilling to, like, a little sweep boy and say, that bring is. me the biggest goose in all of London. <laughs> and that's where you get a goose that's from. And the little sweep boy yeah. says, oi, fuck off, it's 2020. And he's like, 40 bucks to buy a goose. <laughs> well, the problem is, living in Mississippi, there are geese everywhere, and geese are fucking assholes. And if I could legally shoot any of those geese and eat them, I would do it. I mean, you uh, well, can shoot can't, no, geese. I only eat yeah. swan. <laughs> That's because Stan is an unacknowledged member of Scion of the Royal Family of <laughs> Boiled Swan. <laughs> oh, you heard it here first, folks. Stan is the lost heir of some noble family. He does look just like Princess Diana. It's true. It's it's stunning, really. <laughs> you should see him when he lets his candle go in the wind. Oh god. Oh, alright, guys. We will see you or you know. You'll hear us in the new year. Until then, have a good one.